Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. It is that time of year that um, the summer just kind of rushes upon us, and I just love this. I bet I said the same exact thing last year at this time when I uh, was with all of you on the air. But it's just amazing to me. As soon as Pesach is over, the rush, the rush of the upcoming holidays and celebrations just come upon us like a wave, and I just love it. It's something, you know, the air is just charged, and um, the children are outside now all the time, and you hear it from early in the morning, the birds, and then late at night, the children running around, and the yeshiva boys running around. I'm talking late. I'm talking like 11, 12 o'clock at night, the kids are out. It's almost like there's no school, you know, because they're just out. It's so hot during the day, so they can really only enjoy the night air. But that's not all. The Yom Hatzma'ut rehearsals and the flurry of excitement in getting ready for that, which is really the biggest night all year, is going on now. So all afternoon you hear the um, megaphone and the microphone and the music and there's a stage set up on the big grass in our yeshuv and you see the children learning their dances in one section and practicing the dances. And you hear there's a drum class. The kids are practicing the drum. You hear them, you know, practicing their songs. And you see them working, with, dancing with the flags. And everyone's just so busy. And you also see, like, another thing. You see the kids starting to build their fires for Lagba Omer. You see bunches of boys and girls dragging wood through the community streets building up their fires because that's going to happen soon after also. Um, so it's just this flurry of excitement of getting ready for summer. And, you know, my dishes are barely changed back and my countertops are barely cleaned off from the Pesach foil. And, oh, it's so exhausting, but exhilarating at the same time. And it's like, there's just not enough time to get everything done. There just isn't. If you are, you know, dragging in life at all, when you are in Israel at this time of the year, you feel like you are 17 years old. And all of you who are coming, please visit me here in Susia. Stick around. We have a great show for you. Israel is located in one of the most volatile areas in the world. Israel is an island of stability and a sea of war and unrest. In the midst of this turmoil, Israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress. Each week we update you on what's happening in this, the Jewish state, a true light unto the nations. This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. Joining us today is a um, continuation of a show we played two weeks ago with Shimshon Meir Frankel, who came to Israel on a one-year program 
years ago, uh, trying to make peace between Arabs and Jews. He left the program. He was totally disenchanted with it. The last thing he told us was he left that program. He was kind of looking for himself, trying to find himself. Where do I belong? And at the end of that section, he told us that he was wandering around the old city alone when someone found him, spotted him, and started speaking with him. A, a Yid, he said, a Jew. And here we go. Definitely, he could tell I was searching. Absolutely. So so we, we, we schmoozed for a couple minutes, and then he said, hey, do you want to come meet my Rosh Hashiva? I was like, okay. I didn't know what that was, but oh, you know, that sounds great. So we... We went to a, a place called the Diaspora Yeshiva. All right, slow down. And I, I want to. I want to just ask. Yeah. So you were a a, a a college student. I'm guessing you know backpack, glasses, no kippa, yes kippa. I don't know if he could identify you as a Jew, but um, was he like wearing tzitzit and a black uh, hat? And was he an old man? Um, tell, set the scene for me. I'd say he was in his late 20s, early 30s, probably late 20s. And um, he, yeah, he had a white shirt on, black pants, and he had tzitzit, and, and he had a yarmulke on his head. Yeah. And, and and I think I was wearing one at the time, some knitted little thing, because I, I that was part a part of the transition I was going through. Um, I was trying to re-identify. And, uh, and in Israel, to wear... A kippah on your head uh, indicates something. It means that you're a little bit more serious. Like in America, it, it's different. You know, you can see people driving to to the synagogue with a yarmulke on their head. You know, in America, yeah, it's not something you would see here. So, I think I, you know, I was. I think I'm pretty sure I was wearing one because um, I really wanted to be wearing one. And I, so when he saw me, I, yeah, he probably saw that I was searching and wandering around by myself. And uh, so he he brought me in to meet uh, his the Rosh Hashiva Goldstein. Okay, so, so I love this. I love this part. And I'm just going to stop there for a moment because what you just explained as if it was just a very non um, uh not a big deal. It is a big deal. Now, there are people who come here, like Shimshon, like you, um, others, who come here with not a real strong, religious, confident, Jewish identity, background, knowledge, you know, education. And they come here for a program or a trip or um, a semester. And sometimes it's the first time in their lives that they've ever worn a kippah out of a synagogue. And for a girl, we don't have that. Okay, we don't have that. But for a boy to yeah. do that, I, I think it's very strong. It's, it's a it's a meaningful expression of I am a Jew, and I want everyone to know. And I think you did that, probably in defiance of that program you were on. And, and defiance of that boy who came up to you with that soccer team and said, don't tell anyone. And I love that you did that. And I love that you were found because there are many people like you, Shimshon, in America, in other countries of the world, but especially in America, where it's so easy to assimilate. And it's so easy to forget you're Jewish and to hide it. It is easy. And when you're in Israel, yeah. you, first of all, you're here. Why the hell are you here? You know, you're a Jew, you're here. 
but you could right you could just be some unidentifiable person or you could be an orthodox jew and you made that choice and i first of all i applaud you it's awesome that you did that and i love that that just that kind of awakening that it happens over and over here and i love that i mean it happened to me you know it happens it it happens in israel go ahead so yeah so I, i i went i think it was the first time i saw people you know davening actually praying inside of a uh, well, well, it was a Beit Midrash, right? A, a study hall. So, and then speaking to a Rosh Hashiva, the first time I ever spoke to a Rosh Hashiva, and wow, I mean, he was just so warm, and he had such a smile, and he's so welcoming. It, it was so obvious that he wanted me to be there, and he was really excited to meet me. Um, and and although that relationship didn't really last, it, it, I did reacquaint um i did meet him many many years later and and speak with him um about the whole history and our history together and our experience but um but then i you know i I got very close with uh this this fellow his name is shmuel kellner the person who picked me up off the street i got very close with him and then went out to to meet him and his wife and his new baby and uh they, you know they, they they were doing i didn't know such thing as of as kiruv at the time or to be makarov in any way mm-hmm. um, i was just simply simply seeking um and i and i agree i think that having the the keep on my head was a bit of a reactive thing but people are complicated i think i was also being proactive and and really seeking to to fill that gap or that space or emptiness that that we all have when when we're when we're not right on the right path right, right? when we're, that's that's why we're seeking because right. once you've stepped on the path it's as if you've already arrived and i was so i was still still looking still trying to figure it out and i'll tell you a crazy story about this is that i was so turned on by all of this that i decided you know what because i'm so interested in all of this maybe i'm supposed to be a rabbi like this is <laughs> it sounds like a leap right but for me it was like oh now i'm exposed to this right the universe is exposing me to this it must mean that i'm supposed to be a rabbi so what did i do there's a conservative like an institute here in jerusalem that i knew about and since whatever i grew up reform but i figured oh conservative must be more serious right they must be more right right no no more than i do so I actually went to the the gate and I banged on the gate and no one came to the gate. I, <laughs> oh, I went I went to a a public phone. Remember those, those yeah. public phones? Yeah, yeah. So so I went I went to the public phone and I called the number that was on on the door and it was a, a New York phone number. So here I am. I, I'd really like to know. Like I want to become a rabbi. So like, what's your program? What do I do in order to achieve that? And they said, well, you'll have to come back to New York for a couple of years. And I said, I said, New York? And they said, yeah, well, you, and you can do the last year in Israel if you would like. And I said, I, why? I was like, I'm already here. I'm like, I, don't, I don't get it. And they said, well, that's just, that's our program. That's what we have to offer. So I, 
So I dropped out of that program. And um, <laughs> never started it, but fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. So and then I called. So I called my 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 parents and I, and maybe you'll appreciate this. I, I spoke to my mother and I told her, look, I I, I feel like I I'm at home. I'm sure, I'm sure that that hurt her a little bit, but mm. uh, I was 20, 21 years old. What did I know? Mm. So I I said, I, you know, I feel like I'm home. I want to stay here and I'd, I'd like to study to become a rabbi. And she she convinced me as she always has you know why don't you come back you've got one more year of college you know then you can do whatever you want right you'll be free you can make these type of decisions so that worked i went back to america i finished up school uh, got my bachelor's degree and then of course that turned into graduate school and then working for a number of years oh. as a clinical psychologist. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. And then during the graduate school experience, something really kind of started to happen for me. And I'll tell you why. Because in our program, it was just understood. I mean, the, the mantra we had was, we can't move anyone further than we've moved ourselves which means that we have to work on ourselves first. Sound Jewish enough? Right? We start at home. We start with ourselves. And then we become models for what it means to have proper behavior and healthy thoughts and thinking. Okay? okay? So I, I went deep inside myself, and that's when I started thinking, you know what? I should be learning. I should be learning Torah. This mm -hmm. is what I, it just occurred to me. And I even picked up a book called uh, Introduction to Kabbalah or something like that. And I'll tell you, Natalie, I, I mean, whatever you think about Kabbalah, I was just like, what is this? How come they didn't share this with me? Right. We didn't talk about this at all. Right. No, so I, just, I, I don't understand this. Shimshon, like, wh where were you? Were you alone? Again, it sounds like you don't have any guidance or a supportive community. Once you're in Israel and you leave, what were you? You just went back to your Methodist college? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. And I finished up. I and you must have been yeah. like really very confused and and we went to graduate school also the same type of setup a small methodist graduate school well it wasn't methodist it was it was a a small private school mm -hmm. strictly for clinical psychology right. so let's just let's just, yeah. let's just fast forward and talk a little bit about your aliyah what year from where what was your marital status and what have you done since Stay with us for more Returning Home, and we will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. And uh, all of you listening to the show, I want to thank you, and please continue to send me letters and inquiries to natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. We'll be right The Tamar Yona Show. Tamar? She's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. We're continuing our interview with Shimshon Meir Frankel, the psychologist who made Aliyah from the Midwest, and he's now given us a lot of background. Now we are finally getting into the good stuff, the Aliyah. Let's just fast forward and talk a little bit about your Aliyah. What year, from where, what was your marital status, and what have you done since? Okay, well, I'm, I'm assuming my, my story's a little bit different because I had already joined the what we call the Frum community. I had decided to become way more observant and get involved in the community. Uh, I don't know, we call it the Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox community. I don't know what we call that. It's, it's, I've always noticed that the world, word Orthodox is not a Hebrew word. So I'm not really sure why I apply it to myself, but let's do that. Let's say I, it's an Orthodox community and I got very involved in it and for about a year and a half. And then uh, with some push from the people in the community, I, I decided I needed to go to a, a, a place called the yeshiva because I wanted to sit and actually learn Torah. And this is your, now, I'm, I'm guessing this is after graduate school, you're like 27 years old, something like that, single? Yeah, I was 26. I was 26 years old, single, and I had been running a private practice through an outpatient clinic um, and living with some, some of my best friends. Yeah, I was living that uh, the, the secular you know, life, the ideal like life, I, living with my buddies and okay. had, you know, had a great job. And, and uh, that was a big turning point for me, if you really want to know, of actually achieving something in life where my parents were even satisfied like wow you've you've made it you've done right, it right. and i still felt empty right. natalie it was um all right all yeah. right continue so i when i came to israel i just came and i knew i came to stay i did not tell my parents that i somebody gave me great advice to tell them that i was just going to be here i plan on coming back kind of thing um but in my mind i was coming to israel to stay uh, because in 1991, I felt like that was home. So uh, once I got here, I realized, plus I needed to come here and learn here because everyone was telling me that when you learn in, in Israel, you learn twice as quickly and twice as much. And since I was so behind in my learning, that was very attractive. I love that. So when you say so, learning, you, you're talking Jewish learning. You're talking Torah. You're talking Talmud. Yeah. Halacha. Tal- yeah. All right. right. All right. Exactly. So this is so all yeah. those of you the, listening the meat, who are, yeah, the meat and potatoes. I, yeah, I, I want everyone listening. Not everyone is Jewish. Not everyone's religious. Listen to this station. Now, Shimshon is talking about learning in yeshiva, which a lot of people do. I also I also found this hard to accept. You're not doing this for a degree. Okay, you're not doing this to get a piece of paper and you're not doing this to get a job. This kind of learning is lifelong learning. When you're young enough before you have a family, you have the luxury of doing it. And what you're learning, you say meat and potatoes, is you're learning about life, about how to build a Jewish life and how to live a Jewish life. And here in Israel, 
There are lots of ways to do that. There are lots of programs to do that. Some girls do this after the army. Some girls do this um, right before the army. Now notice I say army and girls. Even religious girls do mm -hmm. go to the army here. And even non-religious girls who go to the army want to learn how to live a Jewish life. It's amazing the opportunities here and the, the maturity it takes for a girl 22, 23, 24 years old to commit to a year of learning without a, um, you know, without a, a piece of paper in her hand at the end. I, I found that I could not understand that. I, I just could not understand that. Uh, same with the Mechina, preparing for the army. Same with the yeshiva, the Hezder yeshiva. I, I just never really understood, like, well, what are they doing it for? What are they getting out of it? Because yeah. in America and probably many Western societies, they go to university or learning for a job, for a degree, you know? to get a degree to go on. It's yeah. not like that. It's not like that. Yeshiva is not like that. Um, so what did you learn? What did you want to learn? And tell me about, just give me a few details. What year was this when you made your, that was your Aliyah year. What year was it? Yeah. Well, what really, see, that's why I said my, my story is a little bit different because when I came, I didn't make Aliyah. I was making Aliyah, meaning I left Chutzlars, I left the States and I came to Israel and Jerusalem, and I had succeeded at making Aliyah. It, it wasn't until a couple of years ago when when I, I'm sorry, a couple of years later when I finally met my wife, Tzipora, um, that I actually made Aliyah. Every time someone asked me, did you make Aliyah? I'd say, what's that? I'm here, aren't I? And, and, and they said to me, well, you know, it's like a relationship with the government. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I don't really need that. You know, I don't need that right now. I ha I had my job to do, and that was to learn and you know, and grow myself, build myself, develop myself into you know a proper Jew who could run you know, have a Jewish life. You know, because right. I did I, I really did want to get married. Yeah. I I wasn't I wasn't ready. I didn't know enough. I'll just quickly break down what I did. I I spent uh, three months looking at different yeshivas. Again, I'm a seeker trying to figure out where I belong. I went to probably 12 or 13 of them. I came up to Zichon Yaakov. There was a yeshiva in Zichon Yaakov. And then I wound up in Sfat. And I had a good friend. I, at this point, I was with a friend. So we ended up learning in a, in a synagogue, a shul called Kosov, all day. They put together a whole program for us. So I learned there for a whole year. Wow. Uh, lived in an apartment. And then... I moved down to Migdal HaEmek, and I worked in a Russian-Israeli boarding school, high school, as a counselor for the junior class. I did that for the year. And then uh, my friend and I went to speak to Rav Nachum Bolman Zatzal. Uh, he was, at the time, the spiritual manager, we'll call it, the, right, the Meshkiach of Orsameach. In, in Jerusalem, a yeshiva called Orsameach in Jerusalem. And when we spoke to him, he basically, you need to go to Chappelle's. This is what he said, a normal Litvish, normal uh, yeshiva will destroy you. Mm -hmm. So we went to Chappelle's. And when we got there, um, it was amazing because 
I was ready. I was finally ready to sit in a organized fashion. Um, and I learned at Chappelle's for two years and my wife Zipporah was at Midrash at Rachel, which was the sister school. Um, oh, I love and it. That's how oh, that's so yeah. nice. You're one of those couples. Oh, yeah. this is great. So yes, those of you are. listening, yeah. let me just explain to you what Chappelle's is. I do know a little bit about this. Chappelle's is the name for, um, it's a yeshiva for people who have not been raised religious. And these students are a little bit older than um, the yeshiva students. So like in their 20s, right? And then there's a sister yeah. school, like you said, Midrash Most Rachel. Of them, yeah. And same thing. And these are Americans. Most of them are Americans, English speakers. Uh, it's great. It's for people who are like, became religious later in life. They all, they've all gone to college. Most of them, they're in their 20s. That's great. There is something for everybody yeah. here. Those of you listening, there are so many programs here. It's unbelievable. I get a request every week, every Monday, girls looking for a place for Shabbat. People sending me messages during the week. We're looking for a place for Shabbat. We got your number. We found out you host people. There are lots and lots of programs here. And I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a really key, important piece here in Israel, is that especially as a single person, if you want to, want to learn about a certain um, type of person, a certain sect, say, of Judaism, or, I mean, for example, if, you, if you're interested in what it means to be Hasidic, right, or, or, or Lithuanian in terms of the, what we call more yeshivish, or whatever you're interested in, you can literally just call a home and say, may I come for Shabbos? And they're always, they always give me the same answer. I remember it. Oh, I'm so glad you reached out. We never know who to call. It's so, <laughs> right. we're so thankful. We're yeah. so thankful. We always want to have guests. Yeah. And, and I did this for many, many years. I, I met big Hasidic rabbis. I, I was in their homes. Right. Because all I did, all I did was call. Yeah. Imagine just, that. Yeah. Every... yeah. Imagine that. And imagine how much easier it is today. You don't even have to call. You can just send a message. Right. 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 It's so easy for yeah, these people. Then. I mean, they're like Shabbos shopping. You know, they we have people come here. They would never come here. There's nobody for them to come and see. They don't know anybody here, but they know Natalie. Yeah. You know, they find me. And yeah. so they get down here. And um, it is yeah. the, it is great. It is great. And yeah, yeah. as a yeah. seeker, that's that's what yeah. you want to do. You want to yeah. get exposed to as many different people and environments and homes and in the home again. I keep coming back to that. It's so important to me because to see Torah alive in the home, that's all I want. That's all I want to see. And that was such a big thing for me. Even in back in Detroit, you know, I would go to people's homes and that was my criteria. Do I see Torah alive in this home? Because that's where Torah belongs. And there's a huge difference in Israel versus in uh, outside of Israel in terms of what the synagogue represents. Uh, growing up, even nice. as reform, yeah. the right, the temple is the the focus of community. Right? That's where your Judaism is. Right. So that no wonder it's so easy to drive there. And you have to drive there if it's so far away because that's where your Jewishness is. That's right. That's where you're as Jewish. Opposed to, no, no, that's where you are right. Jewish. You're right. That's where you're that's Jewish. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And but in this country, in Israel, where you're Jewish, your home, right? Your home is the temple. That's the center is the home. That's where your Judaism 
is alive. That's where it exists. And okay, if you have to go and, and pray, and a minion, and people, so okay, so you can go and there's a there's a there's a shul that you can go to and and daven with other people. Stay with us. We'll be right back after these messages. In a time where feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared, one man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American time, 7 a.m. Israeli time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Nathalie Sinsky. We are continuing our talk with Shimshon Mayor Frankel. But in terms of your Jewishness and your Judaism, that, that's all that's all about home. That's so, very, again, um, that's so interesting. Also, we've got to feel at home. Yeah, I, I just got to jump in and say one thing. In America and in Europe, uh, the synagogues are so ornate and they're so... Um, extravagant and if you come to israel uh you don't see that so much and it's right. a little no, bit jarring no, only only in the yeah only in, in the more like hasidic yeah. shuls will you see that like the hungarians you know they they love to have their fancy uh-huh. but i want you to just okay. if you can tell us about your life today what have you accomplished family-wise career-wise um can you tell us where you live and how long you've been there and uh a little just a okay little bit about all that. yeah so about about nine years ago we moved up up to zichon yaakov which is about a half an hour drive south of haifa uh, which is a beautiful place it's a tourist town you have views of the ocean you have views of the carmel mountains i live on the carmel mountain range uh, it's absolutely gorgeous it's uh, a very uh, wealthy place, which means you have a great infrastructure here. A lot of, you know, in walking distance to to uh, the the supermarket, to the, all the health facilities, mm-hmm. uh, every everything you need. It is a wonderful place to live, um, and we live in the ultra orthodox uh, section, um, and I work. I have a I have a private office and I work a lot on Zoom. I mean, because we about nine years ago when we moved here, that was a big thing for me. Once once video conferencing started to actually work, like it it didn't get all pixelated and drop every two seconds. Um, I felt like oh, I could be anywhere in the country. I we had been living in Jerusalem, and I had an office there, and I kind of felt. I mean, I love Jerusalem, and I really would like to be there. It's just a very expensive place, like all big cities. Um, it, it was nice to be able to move somewhere where we could afford a home mm-hmm. and uh, raise our kids in a very sort of quaint way, kind of like the way I grew up, you know, in in a private, small, small city, mm-hmm. and uh, where I could walk. You know, I got to walk to school. I could walk to school. I wanted that in, yeah. in Jerusalem. I. I, I was a bit uncomfortable putting my five-year-old child on a bus for a 45-minute, you know, drive to get just to get to school. Right. Whereas here, 
that's a two minute walk. Right. So I really, I really enjoy that. Uh, my work has developed greatly um, because of the video conferencing option, the now Zoom, um, because I, I can work all over the world. And that is just amazing. Okay, so tell me a little so, bit about what you do. I, I, I don't really know. Um, can you can you share that what you did before and how you transferred it to here? Because it seems like you were a clinical psychologist there and you're a clinical psychologist here. I, I opened the show saying, you know, a lot of people change their lives. And one of the one of the barriers for people coming here is they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. You seem to have done it. Yeah, well, I my big thing is helping uh, people and couples get unstuck. Um, I so much so that I wrote a book about it. I mean, I, I wrote a book called The Wisdom of Getting Unstuck, um, which is, I mean, you can buy it on Amazon or Mosaic Press, which is my publishing company. Um, and my whole, uh, the, my whole approach there is that I, I, I was trying to, as for writing the book, I mean, other than trying to explain in the book what the, the guiding principles and the tools that I use, uh, which are, you should know, all based in Hashem's Torah. Mm -hmm. um, I do not work with any ideas or tools in my work that, uh, that are foreign to, to the Torah. So I love to work with individuals who are feeling anxious or down in the dumps or lacking impulse control. I love to work with couples to help them sort of reignite that spark that they remember having in the beginning of the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and somewhat more recently, I, I started working as a coach, as a mindset coach, and I uh, also do some executive coaching, but mostly the mindset work. I now work for an organization that trains therapists, coaches, even business people helps them transition in, into coaching, to providing them an opportunity to, to make a, you know, to make more of an impact and, and more income. And so I work as a, a mindset coach doing mindset work with, with the coaches. So I get to be a coach for coaches. And I ha admit it's very exciting. And because I'm an idealist, if you haven't noticed that one already, mm -hmm. I'm an idealist. I So impact is a big thing for me. To be able to be working with people who help many other people, they have a great impact. So helping someone who has a greater impact, it just clearly, that means that I'm having greater impact. It's in the world. true. It is. So, it is. That is nice. Oh, tell me just a little bit about your family, your wife. Um, you met her here. Is, does she also? Yeah. So I, so I met her, I met her here uh, in Jerusalem. And she, her parents are New Yorkers, but she was born and raised in Austin, Texas. They're, they're professors. Her, her father is a, a mathematical physicist. He will never retire because mm -hmm. this is what he would want to do in his retirement anyways. We have six children. Very nice. Yeah, and they're all, and they're all I know it's going to be hard to believe, but they're all headstrong and individuals. Um, and my wife is also, Zipporah is also an only child. So uh, I, I used to say we broke the mold, but but uh, more recently, one of our cousins said, you didn't break it, you created your, a new one, a new which one. is really what it is. Yeah, yeah we, we developed a brand new mold, and, and it's just so enriching to have a house filled with children. I mean, 
our oldest is 19 and our youngest is five and a half. So that's quite a spread. Right. And they're all so, so amazing and have such distinct personalities and the whole nature versus nurture thing. Oh, uh, I don't know how much you, you know, psychology you've studied, but, um, you know, I grew up talking at length about nurture, like how, how much effect people have right on us in our, in our, uh, development, but nature is just being born to a certain, you know, set of parents and a certain, right. Mm-hmm. Just with the same DNA, it is incredible how quickly you, you can see what type of personality is going to develop here mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in, each, in each child. Wow. So yeah. that, yeah. yeah, so that's fun. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. Oh, so and... I, I, sh- I should add, I should add that uh, Zipporah is, um, she, she does editing uh, for Feldheim, mm-hmm. so, which is amazing because she's constantly learning Torah and Halacha and things because she's always uh, editing that material. And that she is also <laughs> is, yeah, she also is a, uh, I, I guess you call a parenting coach. I would specifically say a Jewish parenting coach because she has been learning under the auspices of a, of a Revitzen Sima Spetner who gives long classes, uh, even two years at length, uh, you know, once a week class um, on all stages of development for children. Sipora is now taking her uh, married children um, even though we're not there yet, we're, we're getting prepared. Yeah. Uh, the married, year old, mar- married right. children class. Yeah. Married children class. And I, it, it was, oh, what, what, what a godsend as they say. Right. It was yeah. just, the, we, I think, I think that Sipor and I were intuitively pretty good at parenting early on, but now we know we did make mistakes and uh, Revitzen Spetner's approach, which, Sipor is now certified to teach and take, you know, do one-on-one and with groups, which she loves to do. That's very exciting for her. The reason I'm bringing it up is because it just, again, it's about the home and having a Torah home, right? That's where the Judaism is. We are raising our children in a Torah parenting style. To to come from where we come from, to, to have nothing and to be given the tools and parameters uh, and the just in the all the necessary information that we need to raise our children in a jewish way it's just it, so necessary when when we when we grow up with nothing and then you find out that you're just like everybody else even so for people who grow up in it they didn't have rabbits that's right. they, that's classes right. either. Just, it's just yeah for them it's uh, they don't know anything else Right, they just do what their parents did, which is what everyone will them. do. Lucky right? for them. Well, look, yeah. what, but but you want to keep you lose perspective yeah. when that's all you know. You found it and you chose it, and it has meaning for you. But your children aren't—they're not you. I spoke about this recently. You know, our memories are not the same. We're not the same memories that our children are going to have, and you're not going to—you know—you can't superimpose the lessons you learned onto your children. They're going to have different struggles, and they're going to have different lessons. They don't know what you went yep. through. You have to tell them what you went through, 
even hearing it from you won't do it, but at least it'll give them something as opposed to thinking, oh, everybody keeps Shabbos. Oh, everybody does this. I'm sick of it. I don't want to do this anymore, which could happen. But look, I, I, I really loved this. Thank you so much. Um, it's a I, pleasure uh, and an honor. Really, it was great. And I hope our listeners all gain something from this. Can you just give me a real quick one line word of advice for those out there considering Aliyah but fearful? Don't plan. If you plan, you'll never come. Wow. Listen to that. Well, that's it for today. Thank you all for listening. Please, if you have any comments or questions, please write to me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. you get the inside news on Israel. At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from Leak City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Doris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 